Let us open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. I'd like to talk to you today about when Jesus comes to town. It's no ordinary day. The story of Palm Sunday is given to us in uh, four locations in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I have those scriptures on your notes for this morning so that when you go home, uh, you can get your Bible and you can read each account. Because to get the whole story, you have to do that. Because uh, one writer saw it this way and another writer saw it that way and another writer added another thing to it, you get the whole story. We're going to begin reading in Matthew 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, At the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying. Now this verse right here, verse number five, is the key verse of an Old Testament book of the Bible, Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. In my Bible, I've underlined and did as Jesus commanded them because that's what disciples are supposed to do. Whenever the Lord talks to us, we're to respond, right? And sometimes we don't respond as quickly as uh, he would like us to, but uh, it's deep down in our heart there is this tremendous desire in the life of a true disciple to be obedient to Christ, to respond as he calls us. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David uh, was a messianic term. Uh, This was the term that they used for the heir to the Davidic throne. And uh, they so yearned uh, to find uh, this heir in Jesus Christ. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry and mad. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never heard out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Palm Sunday is, of course, no ordinary day. Uh, Every year I get excited, like, in a different way about Palm Sunday. I'm conflicted. I love the excitement of it. I love to see people walk in at a church with their 
palms in their hands, thinking about Jesus uh, coming on the scene and people hailing him as the king. I, I love that. But there, then there is this solemnity about this too, that this day is kind of the opening of the door to the last day of our Lord's life on earth. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Within one week, he's going to be betrayed by the kiss of a friend, denied by another friend, tried with false charges, found guilty and crucified on a cross between two thieves. He's going to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he's rising from the dead. For those of you who have uh, studied Bibles, that's a good thing. Everybody should have at least one. In most study Bibles, there is a chronology. There is what we call a harmony of the Gospels, where the events of Christ's life are given in order. There's usually about 250 events given in those Bibles of the life of Christ in the four Gospels. The interesting thing that I found out in study for this message is the fact that only 11 of all of those 250 events are given in each Gospel. And what that means, essentially, is this, that these things are really, really, really important. Eleven things are given in the four Gospels, and uh, this is one of them right here, Palm Sunday. Um, Numbers 5 through 8 deal with the events occurring during the last week of our Lord's life on earth. Number 9 through 11 are of such great significance, they combined are said to be the very power of God. And so if we can focus in on, of course, today for this, but maybe some other day for the other ten that are listed all in the Gospels, uh, we can see the very crux, the very heartbeat of the climax of our Lord's life on earth and uh, the end of it. And that's why the Lord did it this way, was to be the epitome, the capstone of the message, the power of God unto salvation. It's the Gospel. You know what Romans 1.16 says. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is Jesus coming to Jerusalem? This is not a safe place for him to be. A warrant is out for his arrest. But he goes right into the middle of the storm, and the reason why is because that's what he was called to do, and that was his destination. It's Passover time as we read this passage this morning in Matthew 21. Uh, About two million people, we understand, were there in the confines of Jerusalem. It's like Times Square on New Year's Eve, only much larger. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that about that time on the Passover, there were about 250,000 lambs slain in Jerusalem. Each lamb represented 10 worshipers. And all these lambs and all these people were only a foreshadowment, a type, a picture of this one single lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here comes Jesus as the lamb of God, and he is the dynamic fulfillment of all of these hundreds of thousands of lambs which people are using to be their substitute for sin. Jesus is coming to be the final Passover lamb and The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 put it this way, verse 7, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
There are so many uh, symbols uh, on Palm Sunday. There are so many stories behind the main story. And I think most of us, if someone were to ask us, you know, tell us the story of Palm Sunday, we would, get, we would be able to get through it. But I want you to notice with me in verse number 1 here of chapter 21. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, they, who, who is that? They. First of all, they were his disciples, a group of his committed people. The most conspicuous of those disciples is Lazarus, of course. Uh, Lazarus was at that, per time, that particular time a phenomenon. Everybody wanted to see him. And so we have two main characters here on Palm Sunday. Not only was Jesus a high-profile person, but so was Lazarus. Uh, the Bible says that many, many people had heard that Lazarus had foiled uh, this funeral service and that they had once heard that he was dead and now that they heard he was alive, they wanted to see him in person and people were really telling the truth. They wanted to see for themselves. And so there were these two attractions, Lazarus and Jesus. Then I think there was the man born blind in John chapter 9. Remember, he was excommunicated from the synagogue but embraced by Christ. Uh, he wasn't going to miss this parade. And then there was a, another blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And uh, if you know the story of Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, remember he called out, Son of David. He knew who Jesus was. Have mercy on me. And the Bible says he, the Lord did. He received his sight and followed Christ. That's what disciples do. Whenever they're touched by God and whenever Jesus intersects their life, uh, they're so changed that they, must, they are impelled, aren't they, by the love of Christ, to follow Christ. Um, then there's Zacchaeus, you remember him. He's the guy up in the tree. The Lord said, come down out of that tree, I'm going to your house. I think that would be a shock for Zacchaeus' wife, don't you think? She would say, please give me a couple hours at least to get this place in order. Jesus said, I'm going to your house. Uh, and uh, the thing I like about him is the fact that he was so quickly converted. You know, some people are like slowly converted. You know that? They come to Christ, they make a decision for Christ, but it's, it's slow. You know, it's like they're, they take baby steps. They don't go too fast. Not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus came down out of that tree running, his feet on the ground. I, I was so excited about his conversion because, you know Why? Uh, he said, now listen, now since I've met Christ, uh, I'm going to give half of what I have, my wealth, to the poor. Now you know a person is really converted if they do that, right? And then he said, if I've stolen anything, I'm going to give back to them fourfold what I've taken from them. I can see it now in this place of business, a big sign out front, come and get your fourfold refund. And people are lined up around the block. Because he's been ripping people off for a long time. But when Christ comes into your heart, you can't do that. You know that? You just have to be honest, right? You have to exemplify what Christ is. I think the two blind men were there of Matthew chapter 20. They couldn't hold back. They wanted to be a part of this parade because they said the very same thing. Have mercy on me, son of David. And you know, those are, those are powerful words, have mercy on me. And when the Lord hears those words, he comes. He comes. Uh, you ever feel pretty estranged from God, you say that. Lord, have mercy on me. The Lord comes. And then there were the ten men, remember, with leprosy. I'm sure some of them were there. There were so many people that Jesus had touched and had changed their lives. 
They wanted to be around him. And so here he comes with his, I guess we could say, motley group of disciples. Uh, they, weren't, they were a motley group, but uh, they were committed to Christ because he touched their life. Um, he came into town and he knew what he needed uh, to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy. He needed two donkeys. And uh, he said, listen, I want you to go find them over here. And uh, when, when you run into them, just tell them the Lord has need of them. And uh, they'll give those donkeys to you. Now, that's pretty, I think you would have a question if you were a disciple, right? I might get in trouble if I'm found pulling these donkeys out from in front of this guy's house. Most Bible scholars believe that the owners of the donkeys were believers. They were committed disciples too. There's no prearrangement here. Whenever they heard uh, the Lord's command, they responded. They didn't hesitate. Jesus wanted an untamed donkey to get on to show that he had power over not only... Uh, uh, all nature of all kinds. And what was this all about? It was about his claim as Messiah. This was our Lord's last attempt to reach out to his people, the Jews. Uh, this is pretty dynamic. It really is. Zechariah 9.9 is the passage that Jesus is fulfilling. And let's, let's read it together this morning, okay? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Behold, your king is coming. The long-expected Messiah is coming, riding on a donkey. And what is he bringing with him? He is bringing salvation. From sin, from Satan, from death, from hell. That's salvation. And he's lowly, and that means he's humble. And so the symbolism is, uh, is pretty vivid here. A donkey was an animal of peace. Whenever you look at a donkey, uh, he, it doesn't, they don't look very warlike, do they? I remember many years ago, we were on a mission trip in Haiti. And, uh, you know, American missionaries, they just... They're not fit for climbing mountains. They're not in shape usually. But the Haitian people are. They just climb up and down those mountains so easily. And so they said we were going to have this meeting on top of this hill in this church. And all the Americans looked up and said, well, now how are we going to get up there? And so the Haitian pastors had brought all these donkeys for us to ride up the side of this mountain. And it was the funniest sight you ever saw because those donkeys, or some of them are really small. And so we mounted up. And then we headed up, and it was like we were holding on for dear life. Uh, and this, it didn't look like this at all. Uh, don't take that off the screen. It didn't look like that at all. Uh, we were headed up on the uh, top of this hill. And uh, I remember my donkey was getting tired for some unknown reason. And I, I said, I, this donkey's not going to make it. And I'm going to have to get off. And then... The Haitians came around, and they got behind the donkey, and they started to push the donkey, and what a sight it was. So they were, the donkey was pulling me, and they were pushing the donkey up the side of the hill. So the moral of the story is this. A donkey is not very warlike. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. This is his grand entrance. Uh, the, this is his last offer of salvation to the Jews. This is the final exclamation point on John 1.11. 
He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Uh, he reached out to them in this dynamic way to fulfill this prophecy. Jesus came the first time to bring peace to the human heart. Romans 5.1, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second time, he's coming to bring war. The first time, he's coming as Savior, and that's the age of grace. And we have this privilege right now in this unique time to take the gospel to people who have never heard. And we're trying to do that as best we can. But one of these days, uh, when Bible prophecy is completely wrapped up for this age of grace, uh, the Lord's coming back, as we know, in the rapture. And uh, he's coming back later in the revelation. And he's coming to, to judge this world for its sins. Uh, and he's coming on a horse, not a donkey. Uh, some of you saw the movie a few years ago, War Horse. And uh, after I went and saw the movie, I came back to the church, and I know a few people in the church that like horses. And I said, don't go to see that movie. You won't enjoy it. Because there's a lot of abuse in that movie of these horses being used in World War I as a means of, of battle on the, on, the, on the battlefield. But one of these days, uh, it's not going to be Palm Sunday. One of these days, it's going to be Judgment Day, and Christ is going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 9 records that. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judged and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except himself knew. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Well, Jesus here is obeying his Father's words when he comes riding into town on this donkey. Uh, there are other symbols. They laid their clothing on the road. That was a symbol of submission to a king. And so these people watching Jesus coming into town, they were adding it all up. People are calling him the son of David. That means he could be the heir to the throne of King David. Uh, they are fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies left and right. And he is indeed, according to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, riding on a donkey. Then uh, they are participating with their palms. Suetonius, the Roman historian, said that back during this time, the Jewish coins from the first century had palm leaves engraved with the accompanying inscription, the redemption of Israel. And so a palm was a sign of victory. And so these people just knew that any minute Jesus was going to send them home to get their swords, to come back and launch a campaign of insurrection against the Roman Empire, or at least the subjugation of the nation of Israel under Rome. Well, the Jewish disciples, they were expressing their hope one to another that Jesus would be the one to lead them to victory. But uh, Jesus wasn't interested in that type of victory. Uh, these, palm, these palm branches are very significant. Um, they really are, because uh, we better get, become acquainted with them, because Revelation 7, 9 says this. After these things, behold, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, 
of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. Somebody says, well, how many people are going to be in heaven? Well, the Bible says here a great number that no one can count. That's a lot of people. Do you know that? And uh, when they come around the throne, they're going to have their palm branches and they're going to be waving it because uh, this is a victory time in heaven with the Lord. And so our little reenactment, our little symbol today of taking these palm branches out and uh, waving them around or taking them home and putting them in a place of a conspicuous in the house, uh, that's our sign too that uh, we are on the victory side. Amen. We're on the victory side. Uh, verse number 12 uh, is uh, something that people never, ever talk about on Palm Sunday, but I'd like to share a thought from that with you this morning. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Uh, here we find the care for the people. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus was coming to this temple and uh, he really cared about the people. There is a twist, a surprise in Luke chapter 19. Would you turn there please with me? Luke chapter 19. It's not far from where you are. And how many times have I read this and how many times have I had the same reaction in Luke chapter 19 verse number 41? Well, we begin reading in verse 39. 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I love this. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, these stones would immediately cry out. Uh, our Lord's disciples were excited. They were vocal. They were loud. They were causing, I guess you would say, commotion. And uh, our Lord's detractors said, listen, you've got to stop this. And, and I think Jesus is saying, listen, you can have either or now. Either my disciples will stop and these stones will start to cry out, which, which do you like? Look at verse 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. This always surprises me every time I read it. This is an incredible, exciting parade going on right now. And in the midst of it all, Jesus starts to cry. Why is he doing this? It's the care for the people. Jesus came for people. And he saw all these people with all this false enthusiasm going on. And it touched his heart so deeply because it was also superficial. It was only skin deep, that's all. These very same people that were hailing him as son of David would be chanting in the near future, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus looked at this situation and he began to weep because of the superficial attitude of the people. They were only there for the excitement, not really for him. And look what he says. Verse 42, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, what a golden opportunity they missed. This is your day. Uh, you know, I think the Lord has a day for you and for me. 
the day of our salvation. We don't, uh, we don't know when it is, but of course he does. It's our day. But, you know, we have this thing called human choice. You know, we can make the decision. I've seen a lot of people get so close to Christ but never, never take the final step, never make the final decision. And I think the Lord feels the same way about them as he did here. It touches his heart because they came so close, but yet they were so far away. And he said, this was your day, that the things that make for your peace. You can have peace in your heart. You came so close. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you uh, to the ground, the ground and they will not leave in you, one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus was looking not only at them, these people that were just going through the motions of Palm Sunday, but he was looking at their children and a lot of the people in Israel. And you know, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And he saw a doom in their, in their future. This, is, this story is unique to Luke's record of the Palm Sunday story. Jesus wept. In the New Testament, we only have three records of Jesus weeping at the funeral of Lazarus in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7 and here. He was the man of sorrows. He was weeping over these people that were in the process really of rejecting him. The very peace they sought would be taken from them, and in its place would come the enemies. The Roman Empire would come against Jerusalem. And Jesus, according to Jesus' prophecy here, the city was going to be flattened. And that's exactly what happened. In the year 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, came from Rome and flattened the city of Jerusalem, the temple. And all of its beauty was destroyed, just as Jesus prophesied right here. And I wrote in my Bible that at that time there were about 600,000 Jews killed by the Romans. And I think that Jesus was looking down through time and he saw these people were making a bad, bad decision. They weren't embracing him as their savior. Uh, They were getting ready for the Romans to come and judge them. Well, you know, I believe most of the people in this story were curious, just made up that, uh, that particular designation. They were, just, they were just looking, they were curious. Uh, but they really wanted Jesus to be the king and to rise up against Rome to take their country back. But Jesus didn't come to do that, to be the king of the country. He came to be the king of their heart. And Ephesians 3.17 says this, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. That's what he wanted. He wanted these people to embrace them in their heart, uh, in the cleansing of the temple. It's interesting. Then he went on and he began to cleanse the temple. The word temple here uh, in our story, verse 12 of Matthew 21, is the Greek word he aron. And what that means is that's the, that's the larger part around the Holy of Holies. That's the court of the Gentiles. Uh, you see here, you see all that blank space out there around the center part of the temple? That's, what, that's where Jesus was. Jesus never entered the inner sanctum, 
the inner part of the temple, which in the Greek was naos, the outer was here Iran. And so all these people were out there with their tables and with their animals, and they were exchanging money because people had come into town and they had this, this rip-off going there, that they had to turn in their foreign money and they had to turn it into the proper money. And every time you exchange money, uh, somebody's making money, right? Whenever you go somewhere to exchange your money, they, they don't do it for free. And so they were really ripping off the people. And all these people were selling doves. And all this confusion was going on. And uh, Jesus was so upset. And he said to them, listen. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7. Why was Jesus so angry? That all this confusion was going on and the people couldn't pray. Gentiles were coming to the, the court of the Gentiles. Uh, they were coming with, with genuine motivation. And when they got in this environment of buying and selling and all this confusion, they couldn't pray. And Jesus says, the very purpose of my house is for prayer. Well, uh, Jesus wanted his house to be just that. It, it, the Lord's house was to be a house of prayer and a house of healing. And you'll notice after he turned the tables over, he started to heal the people. And so should his house be that today. We call this a house of God. Uh, the church building that we come together in, it should be a place of prayer. Amen? Uh, it should be a place of healing where people come with their broken lives. And they, the Lord takes those pieces and puts them back together again. He mends them. He repairs them. Uh, that's what the church should be. But more than that, the temple is gone. It's no longer on the, on the mount in Jerusalem. They tore it down. But uh, Jesus moved out of the temple. And you know where he came? He came to our heart. To our heart. The Lord's goal in this age is for my heart to be his temple. You know why? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 talks about it. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple? Now, that's the Greek word naos, the holy of holies. Not here, Iran, but naos. That's where God dwells. Whenever we accept Jesus as our Savior, he comes in the person of his Holy Spirit, and he moves into our life. And I'll tell you what. Our life is never the same. Amen? It's never the same. Uh, our life is the temple of God. God's temple is our heart. And uh, what happens is he begins to cleanse us, doesn't he? And that's, that's salvation. When we come to Christ, we bring him our sins. Nothing else. Nothing else. Lord, here is my broken life. Here are the sins of my life. I beg for your forgiveness. And the Lord... Never does a seeking sinner and a seeking Savior ever fail to meet up. And I just have a word from you today that the Lord is seeking to save you. He is here. And I know sometimes people make decisions along their life, and, and sometimes those decisions don't work very well. And I always encourage people, if you have a decision that doesn't work very well, get one that does. Make another decision. Come to Christ sincerely and be changed by the power of Christ. 
Well, let's just look in closing at a few of the faces here in the parade. First of all, there's the committed disciples. You know, I've always wanted to be for a long time in that category. I'm never very happy if I'm not listening to Christ. And I'm always most happy when I listen to Christ. Whenever the Lord says, hey, go get those donkeys, I want to be the one to say, okay, Lord, let me do it. Let me do it. Come on. I want to do that. And the reason why is because I love him so. Because he gave his life for me upon the cross. Should he deserve less than that? Uh, that I, think, I think most people in our church are in that category, the committed disciples. But then there's the curious people, and those people, they're the ones that haven't ruled Jesus out. They're just trying to figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because before a person is saved, they're curious, right? What's this all about? Are these people really for real or not? Well, listen, you don't, don't gauge your future on somebody's for real Christianity, okay? Then? Gauge your future on Christ and Christ alone. And, and then there's the calloused. Those are the religious leaders. Uh, they were, had a hard heart. Well, listen, I have news for you. Uh, God loves them too. God loves them too. Jesus loves them. You might say, they're so despicable, they're trying to kill him. Uh, but, you know, they're the very people for whom Christ died. And then there's another group of people that I haven't mentioned this morning, and that's the Greeks in John 12, 20. They came up to the temple to seek Jesus, and they, they came into town and said, said, we want to seek Jesus. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you came to church, and, and you're one of those seekers. You just want to see Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what. Just open your eyes of faith and look at him this morning. He died upon the cross for your sins. He could do nothing more than that for your soul's salvation. Jesus has done everything possible for your soul to be saved. All you have to do is say, yes, I believe. I'm coming to you in repentance and faith, Lord. Receive me as your disciple. And I'll tell you, the Lord will come into your heart and he'll change your life. There's certainly enough categories this morning for us to be in one of them, isn't there? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask you to at least put yourself in one of these categories. The first is a committed disciple. As best you can, you try to respond whenever the Lord speaks to you. If God tells you to do something, you step up and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it with joy. Maybe you're here and you're just curious. You haven't ruled out Jesus. You're just trying to figure it out. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. Maybe you're here and you have a hard heart. And you're saying, well, you know, I know that, uh, I know that, uh, I'm just not up for this stuff called Christianity. Well, I got good news for you. I don't care how hard your heart is. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you too. And he can soften your old, your hardened heart and give you a new heart if you'll come to him. Maybe you're here and you've come to church this morning and you said, you know, I've been to Palm Sunday services for years, but I, I really need to see Jesus. I, I got to see him. Listen, he's here today. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there 
And so open your eyes of faith right now and see Christ. Look on him. Look at what he did for you. And right now in your seat, I'd like to invite you to come to Christ. Open your heart. Pray a simple prayer of faith. Lord, I see you today. Come into my heart. I want your, my heart to be your home, your temple, the king. Lord, I want you to be the king of my heart. And if you pray that prayer this morning in your own words, Christ will run to you. He will run to you and throw his arms around you and welcome you into his family. Forgive you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we can meet together in the church. I pray that you'll take this story, as old as it is, and bring it down to us today in a dynamic fashion, we pray in Jesus' name.